So all the way back in 2010, when uh, Jennifer and I were first pregnant and expecting uh, Mason, we went through that, that whole baby naming phase where we considered about 60,000 baby names, it, it seemed like. You know, we did all the internet searches. We had the book with all the baby names and all the possibilities there. We tried to develop a criteria that would help narrow things down to start. Okay, so, you know, it needs to be easy to spell. That was important to us. It needs to sound good with the last name York, if at all possible. But there was also an unspoken criteria, at least that I held on to, and it kind of went like this. Jennifer might give a name as a possibility, uh, like Joseph, a good name, a biblical name. Kyle, what do you think about the name Joseph? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, I like the name Joseph. That's fine. And she'd say, what's wrong? <laughs> and I'd say, well, when I was in third grade, there was this <laughs> kid named Joseph who made me eat glue. So I don't want to name my son Joseph. I don't like that name at all, actually, you know. Um, now, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had, I mean, if you've ever been through this process of naming a child, we can't help ourselves. So many of our names that, that might be very good names carry with them associations, sometimes good and sometimes bad, right? You name your child after somebody, obviously you've got a great association there, but then there are others maybe that we avoid because of something in our past. And y'all, there's something to say about a name. It's not just a word. A person's name is always attached to their character, to who they are. And if you think about it, if I, if I announced the name of somebody you know, you wouldn't just hear the word. You would think of the person. And all that is built into your impression of that particular person who has that name, their personality, their reputation, their character. How has that person treated you? What are your impressions of them? All of that is loaded into their name. And of course, it works both ways. When people hear your name, they think of who you are to them. And there's no way to disassociate those two things. Y'all, I bring that up this morning because today in Exodus 3, we get one of the most stunning revelations of God in the entire Bible. Moses is going to ask God for his divine name. And God graciously answers him. And when the Lord reveals his name, he's not just giving a, a proper noun, he's not just delivering a word, he's declaring something about himself. God is going to tell us in a major way who he is in his being, his nature, and his character. And this is something I hope that we see today in this scripture, that when Moses inclines to God and asks for something to go on, the Lord does not push Moses away and demand to remain in anonymity and mystery. God actually wants to be known. God does not keep distance from us and, in, and insist that we just guess about him and what he's like. We can actually know him because he is a God who delights to make himself known to us. And so, quick recap here. We're about two and a half chapters now into Exodus. I'll catch us up to speed. God's people, Israel, are being crushed beneath the weight of slavery and oppression in Egypt. This is, these are the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whom God has called and made promise to, but right now things are going terribly for them. They're enslaved. 
Well, God comes to Moses, who at this point in the, in the narrative, he's 80 years old, and he's living far away in a land called Midian. He's not even there with his people in Egypt. But the Lord calls Moses and tells him, I have indeed heard the cry of my people, and I have come down to deliver them from oppression. Now that's wonderful and welcome news, but then God sends a shock right down Moses' spine with what he tells him next. We saw this last week, verse 10. Let's pick up there again, though, today. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 10, the Lord is speaking to Moses from within the burning bush. And he says, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Now, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it really, it bears repeating. There's nothing in this precise moment that's especially great or impressive about Moses. Moses has not earned the position of deliverer to which God is calling him. And Moses understands this about himself. He has no ambition, no grand sense of his own ability. His first question he asks is one of absolute humility and maybe even cowardice. But it's an obvious question. Moses replies to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring Israel out of slavery? Which is Moses' way of saying, I'm a nobody. I'm not a great warrior. I'm not a political hero. I'm not a skilled speaker. We'll see him talk all about that in chapter 4. I have no status. I have no authority on which to stand. God, why would you call me to such a monumental task? Who am I? And you notice this in what we just read. God does not dispute Moses' question. God does not say, Moses, you're enough. You can do anything you set your mind to. This is not Disney, all right? This is reality. This is the scripture here. God does not dispute Moses and say, Moses, you're you're much stronger and wiser and more capable than you think. No, the Lord knows that what Moses is asking is a fair assessment of reality. The Lord knows how weak and insecure and insufficient Moses is, which is why he makes him a promise. Right on the heels of that difficult question, God declares, certainly I will be with you. And one of the signs of God's presence and his power, he says, when I rescue Israel, you and all the rest will come back to this very spot and you will worship me right here at this mountain, Mount Horeb, or also known as Mount Sinai. Now, I'm going to make this uh, hopefully a short point, but it's very important, y'all, and and very practical, I hope, feet on the ground application here. Whatever the Lord calls a person to do by faith, he never leaves us to ourselves to accomplish it. And my hope is that all of us, right where you sit personally, that you'll hear these words, that they will echo in your heart and mind every day. 
that God from his own mouth makes a promise. He says, certainly I will be with you. Now, we're not simply adopting something that God said to Moses and ripping out of its context here. When God declares to Moses, certainly in this great task, in all your insufficiency, you have nothing to worry about because I will be with you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Y'all, that is a testimony that's given all throughout the scripture. In one of the most famous examples, we see it in Joshua. God says, you be strong and courageous, for I will go with you. We also see it in the New Testament when Jesus sends out his disciples. In what we call the Great Commission, at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus makes a promise. As they go out into the world, he says, surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. When Jesus made the promise of the coming Holy Spirit in John 14, Jesus says, the Father will send to you the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. This is not localized only to Moses and Israel in the Exodus. This is God's promise for all who know and trust him, that whatever he calls us to, he's with us. Now, so right here where we sit, this has to mean something to us as Christians, as those who know and follow Jesus Christ. God knows your weakness, your sin, your insecurity, and your insufficiency. He knows it even better than you know it. And he calls you anyway. Your weakness is no barrier to God's power expressed and revealed in your life. And so anything God calls us to do, the promise is always that he will be with you to achieve his good purpose in you. Whatever you do by faith, whatever you do in obedience to God and his word, you do it with the overwhelming power that he has granted to be within us. So y'all, I mean, just think about this in every practical way. If you go to the nations, if you cross the ocean to share Jesus Christ with people who have never heard his name before, God is certainly with you. If you endure long and hard days cooped up in the house raising little children, wondering if you're making any difference at all, because a lot of times it feels like you're not, God is with you. If you go to work or school in an environment where it seems like nobody else shares your values, but you're committed to be a light for Jesus Christ in that place, God is certainly with you. If you have any sin in your life that you wish you could be free from, but it's got such a stronghold on you, it's got you so beaten down, you feel like you can't possibly overcome this one particular sin, God is with you, and he's granted you by the power of his very spirit. You have the ability to put that sin to death because where you are weak, God is powerful. In whatever thing God calls a person to do, he never leaves us on our own, never. And that ought to fill us to the brim with confidence and with hope that anything we do by faith comes with God's seal and God's promise. He himself says to Moses, and to us, certainly I will be with you. Yes, you are weak. No, you can't do it. That's why I'm here, to accomplish it in you and through you. And so Moses begins with an obvious and right question. Who am I? But secondly, Moses is going to ask really an even more important question. 
which is essentially God, who are you? When God says, certainly I will be with you, Moses now wants to know, okay, what does it mean for you to be with me? Who are you, God, really? This is verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So when Moses asks for God's name, my sense is, here's here's the, the question, really. God, how do you identify yourself to us? How can we really know you and who you are? And it's a peculiar question on one hand because everybody, everybody in this room has a name, right? Every human being has a name. We name our dogs and our cats, okay? Names are important to us. But in every case, for you and me, our name was given to us. Someone else who came before us, someone in our family, gave us a name. But when Moses asks for God's name, no one came before God. No one is above God. So who gets to name him? We can only know God to the degree that God chooses to make himself known. Right? We can only know God to the degree that he chooses to make himself known to us. And so in this case, God, in a sense, gives himself a name And that is is an act of grace on his part. He's giving to Moses and to Israel a personal name by which they may know him and relate to him. Even the name itself is an act of mercy. God's not obligated to come down and make himself known, but that's what he chooses to do. He gives us a name. And of course, it's a name unlike any other. God says, I am who I am. Moses, tell them, I am has sent me to you. Now, for the sake of clarity right here in this paragraph, the name by which God is to be known is actually found down in verse 15. It is the Lord, which is probably how our Bibles translate this, the Lord. Some of us have Lord in all caps. That word, that name, the Lord, is the name Yahweh, which in the, uh, the ancient Hebrew, they didn't use vowels. We have to add the vowels in to make sense of words. It was Y-H-W-H, which we pronounce Yahweh. Now, this is not meant to confuse as if God's giving multiple different names because the name Yahweh, is, it comes from the same root as this Hebrew term, I am. They're, they're in a sense, they're the same thing. And so on one hand, God is, is introducing something new. It's a unique name that they have not called him in in times past, but they will know him now and from here on forever. This will be my name. So what God is doing, he's delivering something unique. It's in a sense, it's new, but he's not new. You see what he says? The Lord, the God of your fathers, verse 15, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So the name Yahweh is new to them, but God has been with them the whole time. I'm the same God who called Abraham and made a covenant with him. I'm the same God who birthed the nation of Israel. The same God who took Jacob and all his family and brought them into Egypt to begin with. Even though they are now enslaved under the Pharaoh in Egypt, this is the God who brought them there with his good and perfect plan for them. And so from here on and forever, God says, you are going to know me as Yahweh, my memorial name to all the generations, which is God's way of saying, you're going to know me personally and intimately, not generically. Now, we live in a world where the, the word God can stand for all sorts of different things. When people use the word God, we shouldn't assume that they're speaking of the Christian God as revealed in the Bible, because God can mean pretty much anything. God can be uppercase G or lowercase G, depending on how people want to use that kind of impersonal noun. But God here says, no, you're not going to know me like that. You're not going to know me in an impersonal, generic way. You're going to know me and my heart and my character. You're going to know me by my covenant faithfulness. All of that is wrapped up in this name. I am who I am. Now, if it helps, maybe we can unpack this just a little bit more. Because at least for me, um, in my younger days especially, I am who I am, in all caps, seems very, you know, glorious and divine, but kind of circular. Like, is God actually telling us anything here about himself, or is he just creating some sort of enigma, some kind of mystery that we can't crack? You know, in our modern day, we say, it is what it is, which means absolutely nothing, right? Um, is that what God's doing? I am who I am? Is that just kind of a big circle here? Y'all, what, what God is saying about himself is one of the greatest, most essential truths in all the Bible. Uh, John Piper, he's a pastor, he's got a great summary of this. I'll link it to you. You send me a message, and I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to it. I think there's ten things maybe he mentions concerning the definition of this name, but I just I want to draw a little bit of this out in the time that we have, because I hope that it will show us something about the greatness of God and also the nearness of God. When the Lord says, I am who I am, that means, for one, that God is entirely self-existent. I said this a minute ago, God had no beginning. No one made God. No one comes before him or above him. God has always been and will always be. I am who I am, he says. It also means that God is entirely self-sufficient. God has no needs. God has no weaknesses. God has no shortcomings. There's nothing you and I must do to fill in the gaps where God is lacking. He is altogether perfect and self-sufficient. I am who I am means that God is also absolutely sovereign. He has rightful authority and power over all the universe. Everything exists by his will and everything depends on him. God is not dependent on anything outside of himself. Everything depends on him 
the, 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 the Lord upholds all things by the word of his power, the Bible says. I am who I am also means that God has absolute freedom and absolute power to do whatever his will is. Whatever he sets his mind and heart to do, God will see it through because I am who I am. Now, y'all, these are, these are not things we just kind of pull out of a, of a textbook. These are all things that will show themselves as true in the Scripture if we only had Exodus to go on. We're going to see all of these things. God's self-existence, God's self-sufficiency, His sovereignty, His power, all of this we see lived out in real time in the book of Exodus. And so it's fitting that God would have such a name, such a great, mighty, mysterious name that accords with His character. God would not give us a name that sounded like Moses or Joshua or Kyle or Jennifer. No, God is other. He's different than us. He is supreme in every respect, and therefore to him belongs the name above every name. But y'all, it's not something beyond us. It's something he grants to us. This is meant to tell us something of who he is, and also who he is to us, who he is to us. And this will take shape really immediately because I am who I am. The Lord is going to go ahead right now in Exodus 3 and lay out his entire plan. He's going to tell Moses all that's about to happen. And that begins in verse 16. We're going to read through the end of the chapter here. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know, God says, I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. How does God know all of this? And how can God be so certain as to all the details and the outcomes? How does God know for certain these things will come to pass? Well, he's already given us the answer in the giving of his name. He is the great I am. And therefore, think about what we just read. Yahweh alone 
can grant Moses favor before the elders of Israel. Moses, who is a stranger and a fugitive, he abandoned them 40 years ago. What business does he have coming back here, claiming to have some sort of supernatural experience? Only God can give Moses favor in the eyes of these men. Only God can perform miracles great enough to conquer the obstinate heart of Pharaoh. Only the great I am can turn the hearts of the Egyptians so that when the Israelites leave, they're going to leave with great wealth rather than poverty. Only he can do that because he is the great I am. He will indeed pour out his compassion, his love, and his grace on his people, and he will save them, just as he promised, because that's who he is. That's his nature, his character. I am who I am. Y'all, that's why also when we read the Bible, this covenant name, which again, in our English Bibles, it it shows up as Lord. It's in here almost 7,000 times. And so often when we see the covenant name of God, this name he promised as a memorial name to all the generations, we see it not as a bare word that exists on its own, but we see it in conjunction with, with who God is, his power, his sovereignty, his faithfulness, his promises, his glory, his righteousness, his mercy, and his love. So often we see God's character, his heart, revealed in his name. His name is synonymous with who he is to us. That was God's intention in granting it to Moses and his people. God delights to be known by name. He's allowed us in to have the privilege to know him. Now, y'all, as we round the corner here and close, I realize we haven't talked enough about Jesus, okay? And so we're going to tighten our focus on Jesus, and appropriately so, y'all. I want to show you something. Some of y'all have seen this before. You probably caught it before I ever did. But there's an amazing intersection between what we're reading here in Exodus 3, the name of God, and what we see in John chapter 8. And you can, if you're quick, you can turn to John 8. No need if, if, if you don't, that's okay. But in John 8, Jesus is having an extended debate with the Jewish leaders of his day. And these Jewish leaders are taking exception to Jesus because of the great claims he's making about himself. Jesus is saying outrageous things, such as, I am the light of the world, all right? I and the Father are one. My Father's the one who sent me, he says in John 8, and he glorifies me. Now, these these are outrageous things for anybody to say, but to the Jews, they understand each each and every one of these claims, these are blasphemous things to say. Jesus is taking God's name in vain from their vantage point. A human being can't talk like this, and so they challenge him by asking Jesus, do you really think You're greater than all the prophets? Do you think you're greater than our father Abraham? Now look at this exchange. This is John 8, beginning in verse 56. Jesus says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to Jesus, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, 
before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did these men immediately pick up rocks to throw at Jesus to kill him? It's because they knew exactly what he meant in that final declaration. Jesus says, before Abraham was ever born, I am. Jesus is claiming to be God. And in a way that is actually more profound than if Jesus were to say, hey guys, I'm God. This is actually greater and more powerful and riskier than simply saying, I'm God, because look at what he's taking on for himself. The I am, it's the covenant name of God. The name that God gives to those he comes down to save from slavery and death. The uniqueness of the memorial name that will exist throughout all the generations. Jesus takes on that name for himself. I am who I am, Jesus says. It's amazing. And so if the question is ever posed, maybe from outside, or even you ask in your own heart, okay, I see what's happening in Exodus. Things are going really badly, but God cares and he comes down to save. I want to have a hope like that. I want to know God that intimately. I want to know that in any issue of darkness or sin or struggle or pain, that God is that close and that he loves me like that. Do we have a hope and a promise that's as strong as the Israelites did in the book of Exodus? Y'all, I want to encourage us in this. We have something even greater. We have a hope and a promise that's really greater than I think we dare to believe. Because it's found in Jesus Christ, who came to us as the I Am in the flesh. Y'all, when the angel Gabriel came to declare the birth of Christ, think back to Christmas, Matthew chapter 1, the angel speaks to Joseph. Remember, Joseph wants to, you know, kind of quietly divorce Mary, not, not to bring shame upon her because he thinks she's pregnant out of wedlock. And the angel comes and says, no, 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 no. God's, God's doing something here, let me tell you. And he says to Joseph, you will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It's the angel's command to name him a certain name. Don't name him after you or your family. Give him a unique name, the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Y'all, the Hebrew name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. The very name of Jesus reveals to us his heart and his purpose and his saving grace. Which is why the Apostle John, at the end of John, John tells us, that we believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. It's why Peter says in the book of Acts, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's why the apostle Paul says, God has highly exalted Jesus, and has bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now, there's no magic in the word. Saying the name Jesus is not an incantation 
that creates something or accomplishes something, it's not the word itself, it's the person, right? The name reveals to us the person, just as God intended with Moses there at the burning bush. I am who I am. You tell them I am has sent you. And there's something in that name that declares to the people the very person, the heart, the character, the nature, the power, and the purpose of God. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we have God, the I Am, become flesh. His name means Yahweh saves, and that's exactly what He's come to do. He's put on display the full power and the mercy and the love and the glory of God by coming down to deliver us. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we look away from ourselves. Who am I, we say. And instead, we look to him and say, who are you? He is Jesus Christ, the name above all names. And now, according to the scripture, the Bible says this, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. His name reveals to us who he is. Our Savior and our deliverer forever. We have a hope and a promise that as great as Israel's experience in the Exodus was, ours is far greater. We have more of God's mercy and grace than we can even dare imagine because we've been given Jesus Christ, the I Am, who has saved us forever. Y'all, before we close in prayer, I want to encourage us in this. If, if there's something that God perhaps is doing in your heart or calling you to, if, if you just like to talk or pray about something, what it, even, what it means to be a Christian, to be saved, we'd love to, to open up an opportunity for response. Uh, Evan and Aaron will, will stand near these big double doors here at the back of the room. If, if at any point during the prayer, during the song, in these latter parts of the service, if you'd like to respond, to have one of our pastors pray with you, talk with you, then I want to encourage us to take that opportunity right here and now. Jesus Christ says, I am. He is the great God who has come down to save us. And therefore, we have absolutely everything that God intends for us to have. All mercy, all grace, all power to forgive all sin. And because he has loved us like this, then we can depend on his promise. Certainly, I am with you forever. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I pray that we would, perhaps like Moses in Exodus 3, that we would take some, some inventory, that we'd look in, inward and come to the same conclusion that he did. Who am I? And that, that's, not to, that's not meant to shame and destroy us, Lord. It's simply meant to, to bring us to uh, humility. It's meant to show us reality. Lord, there's nothing in us this morning that you need. You are the I am. And there's nothing in us this morning, Father, that you require that we might show ourselves worthy and bring ourselves to acceptability. Father, the answer, the solution is in you. You come down. You make yourself known. 
you make and fulfill your great promises. And most abundantly, Lord, you've given us your Son, the fulfillment of all grace and truth. And so I pray, Father, for myself, I pray, Lord, for us, for Harvest Church, that we would have a mind to say, who am I? But we would not stop there. That we would ask the second question, God, who are you? And we would find, Lord, the answer. You are altogether glorious and worthy. You are powerful. You are just. You are righteous. You are merciful. You are love. You are forgiving. And Father, it's all wrapped up in your Son, Jesus, who is our salvation. Father, grant us, I pray this morning, eyes to see, open hearts to receive all that Jesus is to us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have sent us the greater deliverer. You didn't send us another Moses. You sent us your very son, the Christ, the I am. And we can trust him and be saved forever. Lord, let this be uh, our greatest joy in the powerful and awesome name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.